Hey folks, my name's Andy Sido. I'm a musician, songwriter, producer, living in Denver, Colorado, and my guest this week is Colorado Springs-based artist, songwriter, performer, basically all the th- same things I do, Jeremy Facknitz. Welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. Thanks for being here. This is episode number 115. Um, enjoyed chatting with Jeremy. And I've got some other fun stuff coming up. Uh, Tim Bloom of the Mother Hips will be joining me. Uh, the Mother Hips just put out a new record, um, When We Disappear, on January 27th, I believe. So we're going to be chatting about the record and life and, and all that good stuff. I'm excited to... I haven't done that interview yet, and that's the next... Uh, that's the next one on the queue. There won't be an episode an episode next week because I'm going to Nashville uh, with my wife for the week. But so it gives me a couple weeks to get caught up um, and, and get the interview done with Tim and get that up. So anyway, exciting stuff there. Uh, Jeremy and I have the same manager, Ellie. Yay, Ellie. We love Ellie. Um, and we were both Kerrville New Folk songwriter finalist he's a two-time finalist i was a finalist in 2021 he was a finalist in 2020 and 2022 um and we've watched baseball in in neighboring beds not the same bed neighboring beds in the same hotel room um at uh the folk alliance region midwest so we're buddies now we've done all these things we're buds um and i love his music we played a show together in Colorado Springs back in October as well. And he's been hard at work. He's got a new album coming out on the 31st of March. So you're going to, if you're hearing this episode uh, right as it comes out, um, the album is about to drop. Or if you're listening a couple weeks later, maybe it already has. It's called Smiling at the Future. It uh, blends a lot of different uh, types of types of musics and it's something that's become uniquely Jeremy Facknitz. Uh we talk a lot about uh the record and some of the songs on it in the interview, so I won't get get too into it right now except for to say go listen to it. It's it's a wonderful album with great songwriting. Um but Jeremy's been hard at work. He recorded the album um and it's very well done. Uh there there's nothing there's nothing half-assed. I mean he he went all out to get the sounds he wanted to get, to work with the people he wanted to work with. And um, then he did a Kickstarter campaign, which we talk about too. A lot of times the Kickstarter campaign is to make a record and and artists say, hey, I need to, you know, however much money, $10,000 to make this record. Well, Jeremy made the record and then said, well, I need to be able to promote it. I spent all my money on making it. So... We talk about the Kickstarter campaign and that in that angle and how it went for him. He did reach his goal. Um, we talk about having a family and balancing that with doing music, going on the road. We talk about gigs versus shows, um, all the things that that we that can scare us sometimes and that we confront as artists and creatives. Um, so wonderful conversation. I will jump right into it. First, a quick thanks to our sponsor, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratormusic.com. If you'd like to become a sponsor or you'd like to talk about uh, you know, something 
related thereof, shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Also, if you have suggestions for guests or have suggestions for me or comments or or death threats or hate mail, you can send them to middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram at Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W, band. I've got a YouTube channel where I'm putting up uh, stuff pretty much every day. So you can get a hold of me. I will get back to you. I appreciate uh, the feedback and the contact and the and the friendship or whatever it is. I appreciate you. If you'd like to help support this podcast, uh, you can give it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to help out in a monetary way, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. You can join for as little as $3 a month. And uh, I'd really appreciate having you as a part of my community. All right, let's jump in. My conversation with my friend Jeremy Facknitz. Jeremy, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have uh, it's good to have people in your house again. The last two podcasts, I've had people actually come over, which is used to be i mean the first 50 podcasts that was all of them before zoom uh became a became a thing for obvious reasons so it's it's good to see you i'm i'm not in my sweatpants i had to put on clothes but it's good to see you nonetheless <laughs> yeah i put on clothes too i didn't really want to but i figured i, sh- I should <laughs> but uh, yeah it's good to see you too i, I i've been watching your uh, podcast clips on the social medias and seeing that divided screen and that zoom thing and yeah. knowing that I was coming here I was like we're not doing that we're doing this face to face like like the old days <laughs> yep yep just like the old days but it's I, I appreciate you making the drive you're in Colorado Springs and mm-hmm. you know it's a good hour right yeah yeah I don't know if it's the best way to go I I went straight up 25 and then over on uh 285 but um but yeah, it's it's not a bad drive as long as you don't leave during rush hour. So yes, yeah. Well, and you and you're doubling up. You've got a meeting, a manager meeting with your manager right after this too. Right, right, exactly. I'm making lots of trips to Denver, and I'm coming back up Thursday for Stomp. So uh, okay, so that'll be fun. So yeah, yeah, it's no big deal. You actually actually you have a meeting with my manager too. Yeah, uh, this I do. afternoon. Yeah, yeah. and talk about you. <laughs> what is Stomp? Stomp? You never heard of Stomp? No. It's like a sh- it's a theatrical show where um if you look it up online you'll see clips they wear um like trash can lids on their feet and they have brooms and they compose these really cool percussive arrangements uh with everyday items. Um so that's that's what I know. I've never actually seen it before, but from what I know about it, uh it's it's like a drum show with uh, a bunch of people on stage, I don't know, maybe eight or nine people, and uh, they just make a, a ton of noise. So That's cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited for it. <laughs> are you coming up with the fam? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, all our birthdays are in February. Uh, so my daughter's birthday, February 21st, and so we're just, uh, we're doing a big, um, just uh, one kind of big shebang party for all of us, and gonna get a hotel for the night, and. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So she, well, that was yesterday. Yeah. Your, I, I mean, we're filming. Right. We're Whenever recording February was. 22nd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how old is she turning now? My daughter's nine. I have a six-year-old son. And uh, yeah, I'm 45. My wife's 42. 
Now, are you about to turn 46 and 43, or did you just do the deed? We just did the deed. Nice. Yeah, I just turned halfway to 90, which... Oh, wow. I'm at that age now where the zeros, the the, the years that end in zero and five kind of sting a bit, you know? Like, oh, yeah. oh, okay, I'm that now, all right. Yeah. But Especially the next one. I heard 50s, like, really stings. Yeah, well, we'll see. I Maybe, if I make it. <laughs> I think you, well, I think, well, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We don't know what's going to happen, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> you've been working hard. Um, do, you're touring out of Colorado. There's a lot we can talk about. Touring out of Colorado is certainly an, an interesting topic. But you have a uh, a single that came out as of this morning, came out on January 20th, and that is part of Smiling at the Future, which has the release date of March 31st. You excited? I am. I am excited. You know, it's my sixth album, and I've been parts of other collaborations as well. Um, You'd think after doing it that many times that you'd be like, oh, well, this isn't that big of a deal. Um, But I still suffer through all the same psychological issues of releasing your art to the world. Uh, And I don't know if if you've suffered from that or if everybody suffers from that, but I, that anxiety of uh wow i've worked really hard on this you're kind of in the the creative mindset and you're just like busting tail and you're making this record and then it gets done and then you go to share it with people and uh it never stops being terrifying uh (laughs) but um but yeah early uh early reviews are very uh kind and uh complimentary and uh, i did the best i could and you know, it's 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 exciting to release it. It's exciting to tour on it, but it's also you know just a relief. And then you get to move on with your life and and create more. Yeah. Um, I'm never. I don't know if I'll ever be the singles person that that works. That that model works so well for streaming and Spotify, yeah. where you release a single every two two and a half months or whatever. Um, I can do that. I may do that, but I think I'm always going to be an album person. I like the seasons of creation of going into your cave and and making a bunch of music and writing and being the writer and then coming out and then being the arranger and the um, recording uh, star so to speak and then the promotion and marketing I like to wear the hats at different times you know because yeah when when you're promoting and marketing it's hard to be the artist you know going starting from square one because you have this finished product and you're trying to sell it so um I like the seasons that an album brings about, you know? It's like, I'm going to hide, I'm going to make this music, I'm not going to release anything for a you know, year or two, and then boom, here's all this music. When it, I'm seeing people now that are that are releasing a 10-song album, but they will literally do, you know, eight singles. Yeah. Um, release a song every month and, and push the crap out of it and make micro content and all that stuff. What was behind the decision... Old school, we're going to do one single album. Well, we're doing a few singles. We're doing, um, there's a second single coming out called um, There's No Going Home Again. And then um, there'll be a focus track on the release date. Um, yeah. But I think that, <clears throat> I think that for me, um, I don't know, there wasn't a lot of strategy behind it. I just wanted, the album was done and... Um, because I work in, with that mentality of uh, this is the time of creation, this is the time of marketing, this time of promotion. Um, obviously, I love creation and I love touring and performing, so I want to get to those as as quickly as possible again. So, yeah, uh, I was just like, let's just get it out there, share it. 
Are you going to be performing a lot this summer then? Are you doing a lot of uh, touring to support it? Yeah, yeah. Booking's been a little slow, which uh, has been challenging, but um, I um, the release weekend, I'll actually be in Kansas City. We're playing, uh, my violinist David Siegel and I are playing something like six or seven shows in three and a half days, doing some morning stuff, radio interview on KKFI and... Uh, I'm headed to the Pacific Northwest for some house concerts in May, and then I'm still trying to kind of round up the summer, but I'm originally from Michigan, so I typically tour the I-70, I-80 corridor between Colorado and Chicago, yeah. which you're familiar with, yeah. I can tell, and, then, <laughs> and go to Detroit, and then uh, I'd love to do something on the East Coast, too, uh, because, um, I don't know, I just, I, just, I just love playing over there, especially in the fall with the colors. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. And the band instrumentation is very interesting too. And I noticed that you really leaned into the band sound that I've that I've seen live with your album. Um, and I mean, it really feels like it's a it's a full band thing. Not Jeremy and we hired these session players to play the chord chart. Um, it's a it's a collaborative effort and there's complex parts and you can tell everybody has has some creative input in in the arrangements and stuff um so there's a sax in in a in a violin mm -hmm. which is which is different right than a than a lot of bands what was the decision to i mean did that just happen organically or did you seek that out yeah, um, it happened pretty organically. I had uh, David Siegel in my band. We were a five-piece, uh, so we had uh, keys, bass, drums, violin, and myself yeah. playing guitar. And uh, yeah. David was great to lean into for the solos and because uh, I'm, I'm not really much of a, a shredder. I yeah. like to play, put a lot of chords into my songs and, 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 and make um, interesting compositions, but uh, I've never been one to like... Uh, make the stink guitar face and things like that. So I give that to David. But Ricky, uh, he's in the United States Air Force Band. He plays saxophone. And we played at the Walnut Room here in Denver like 13 years ago. And then the Air Force took him away from me. But we always stayed close and stayed friends. And he's a brilliant uh, jazz sax player, by far the most famous person in my band. And um, yeah, and then we, um, he came back to Colorado Springs. And I was like, you know, you're in the band, right? And so we just had a six-piece, and we had the violin and the sax. And um, <clears throat> the only other band that I've ever really heard of doing that is Dave Matthews Band. I was uh, going to say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you a, bit, are you a Dave Matthews fan? Uh, I was. I, I wouldn't say I, I, I am as much anymore, but I was back in the, in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but we don't really want to do that. We What we've done is we've, on the album... We've made David and uh, Ricky, the violin and sax, a horn section. And it works, to all of our surprise, surprisingly well. Like it does, it sounds, I, we think it sounds pretty natural. Um, yeah. You wouldn't put those two together. But the versatility we get from having those two guys, I love because we have a song, the first single is As of This Morning, and it has kind of a country rock kind of feel. And David plays his solo and leans into that vibe with a very kind of lazy, uh, swingy guitar, or, um, violin kind of fiddle thing, and then as soon as Ricky's solo comes in, it's like, oh no, this is this is jazz. This is like a more of a jazz yeah. feel from the 1970s, and uh, wow, I, I I love that. I love. I'm just so lucky to have those two guys in my band. 
Yeah, well, it's it's a great band, and the, and the compositions are brilliant. And um, thanks. I I I. I I mean, you brought up the the Dave thing, but I was going to because I noticed too that you stayed away from you know your elevator pitch wasn't Dave Matthews and Ben Folds had a baby and it wouldn't shut up you know it like, <laughs> you know? that's not bad I yeah could, I could, might steal that <laughs> yeah yeah no take take it it's yours but but you you uh, I mean it's clearly a different sound I mean that's just the that's like when you see a guy with a harmonica and you say hey, he sounds like Dylan right. Um, Kind of thing, but the way the way you described it, your elevator pitch was indie rock with a made for theater twist. I'm a singer songwriter, but I'm not three chords in the truth. I'm eight to fifteen chords in cryptic cynicism. <laughs> Less like John Prine and Towns Van Zant, more like Elvis Costello in Lin Manuel Miranda, and that's a hilarious elevator pitch. I think it works well because uh, you are a, a lot of singer songwriters quote three chords in the truth and you know like town like a towns but modern feel or or whatever right. and you said no like none of those people you're right. picturing that it's not that it's not that it's not that it's completely different um and, and it's described well oh thanks yeah <laughs> well you I, I took me a long time to figure figure out how to describe myself but because when i when i like you hear with my music on my albums um they're almost all of them are full band rocking electric guitars, keys, really produced um, with a lot of instruments because that's how I hear the songs in my head. Yeah, I was raised on and loved um, uh, yeah, Beatles, the 70s singer-songwriter movement, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Billy Joel, um, Elton John. Um, of course. This big music, you know, and, yeah. uh, and Paul Simon, you know, yeah, yes, he toured with a guitar and solo for many years, but... You know that that guy uh, loves his arrangements, loves his um, recording studio yeah. fun. You know, and so that's the way I am. And so I, you know, I, uh, I I try to nip that in the bud real fast when someone sees me with my guitar on tour. I'm like, nah, this, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a lot of quirky stuff here. Just let you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and you have to be able to describe yourself because. No one can just like look your name up and listen to you and make their own decision, right? You have right. to you have to be able to tell them exactly. <laughs> as strange as that is, and but it, that's not to say they're not judging. They've already judged, right? Right, it, right. Uh, and they're continuing to do so. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> does it feel it? It feels genuine to you too, right? Just being being who it, it feels like this record is is who you are and you and you're never straight away from any influences i mean and in fact when you when you listen to the first song uh destiny there's points where i'm like oh man there's like some punk rock in here too mm -hmm. this is alternative i mean there's there's a lot of stuff in there yeah um does does it feel very you more than past works uh yeah i would say that with my 2020 release from those sweet ashes i was trying to write some songs that would open doors for me and it did and that worked um uh i was a kerrville finalist in 2020 uh, with a song love so big which was this sweet little three or four chord song to my daughter that's not typically the kind of thing i write uh, but it was me trying something on you know and uh with this album there is there is more of a a trust of myself and who i am and um 
you were mentioning earlier the band having some influence on how things went. I wrote this album with the band in mind, a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, because I can't really tour with the band, but I play with them here in Colorado, and they're brilliant, and I love them. And um, when we play together a lot, I couldn't help, but when I, as I was sitting down writing songs, it's like, oh. And, of course, here is where the sax solo will go, and, of course, here is where the bitchin' violin solo will go. Uh, and so, yeah, the band had a lot to do with uh, this record and, and shaped it in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, just um, I, I, like, I like it a lot. It's fun. We've been rehearsing it because we're playing an album release show on the 25th of March at Lulu's in Manitou Springs. And uh, yeah. so we're working on that, and uh, it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun record to play. I think we're just going to play the record and nothing else. We're just going to play the, the new album and get off the stage, kill them and leave. And, Great. Uh, you yeah. don't want to stay around, leave evidence. No. Get out of there as fast as you can. <laughs> don't even get paid. <laughs> no, get paid. <laughs> get paid. I haven't been to Lulu's yet. Uh See a lot of cool people playing there. Joe Pug just played there, right? Yeah, Martin Sexton. We saw Joe Pug and Martin Sexton were in the same weekend, so we had to get sitters and go to both those shows. There was no, there was no question. Is your wife a big music fan too? Yeah, yeah. When we met, she was doing the singer songwriter thing as well. Ah, uh, and she's kind of, um, you know, she, our kids are young, and she put on the mom hat and didn't have the energy for that, and she's gone in a different direction now. She's doing. Uh, a lot of sound healing for other people. Um, she wants to sing in a more communal way. She has a beautiful voice and she loves music, but she's not like us to where we're, you know, trying to build a persona online and we're, the, we're doing the music and we're playing our original songs. She's more like uh, in the Pete Seeger vein of, I want to sing communally with all this other stuff. It's far healthier than what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, I, I mean, music originally was, uh, you know, I, we probably lose track. I know I do sometimes of the fact that music was made for healing and celebration and uh, and and we we want to deliver that. That's why we got into music, but there's so much other other stuff. I mean, when you talk about the persona and and uh, I mean, it all goes with making a living doing it too, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah, it's not all. You can't say it's all for the right reasons a hundred percent of the time when you listen to uh, music on Spotify. I mean, you right. you just can't. Right. Um. And and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think everybody probably goes through that personally. We're like, oh, am I doing this for the right reason right now? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really love, I love house concerts. I just love house concerts. I love the intimacy yeah. of playing that parlor show and that connection with people through your own music and having them identify with it. And, and um, you know, there's all these other things that we do that are not as pure as we're saying, like um, uh, the vanity metrics and, and the things we might do on social media or Spotify. And I try to keep a focus on... Um, what moves my heart, what keeps me going, and also the battles that I can win, right? Like right. we were, I don't know if, I think I mentioned earlier going to Kansas City for a weekend and playing seven shows and, you know, uh, I'm going to make a couple thousand dollars. And right now, as of this moment, I've got 184 followers on Spotify. Yeah. Which for somebody who's been doing it as long as I have and has released as much music as I have, that's that's worse than pathetic. But do I care? Because... It's like, well, I wish that wasn't the case, but 
you know, um, real life is I'm going to Kansas City. I'm playing my own music. I'm going to be on the radio and I'm going to make money. To pay your bills. To pay my bills, right? So it's like, you know, I, I, so I don't put a lot of focus on that. I don't pay marketers and promoters to get me on Spotify playlists so I can get that $5 check from my $5,000 stream, 5,000 streams, you know? Right. It's like, I don't want to play that game. I want to play the games I can win. Do you, I mean, do you ever feel like y- you want that validation though? I And it it's so tricky. I mean, I'm go, I go through that same thing on my, on my socials and, and I know at times I've thought, well, I would like that validation of getting a hundred thousand streams on a song or a million streams on a song. Do you struggle with that at all? Or are you able to just say, uh, fuck it? I struggle with validation in other ways. Um, you know, uh, if somebody is really killing it and playing a lot of shows and booking a lot of tours and they're playing a lot of places that I want to play, obviously I have some envy there, you know, that's, that's where I struggle with it. But as far as the, as far as those numbers go, um, no, I don't really, sometimes there'll be, it might be a little twinge if, you know, I, I I have like, you know, Oh, this person has 5,000 Instagram followers and, and they're just getting started and I have 500, you know, it's like, Oh, well, like well that's not that's not where my focus has been my focus is on like playing shows and that connection with humans and uh, you know just we, we get thrown i know you probably get this too in our feed social media feed or in advertising it's all these people who are looking to make money off us and so what they'll do is hey you know i can get you more spotify followers i can get you this i can get you that and if there's any part of you that wants that you can be fooled into thinking oh yeah this is worth the investment it's like, probably, probably not, you know, right? because I talk to those people, I'm friends with those people and they're suffering through the same thing I am. They're trying to get gigs. They're trying to finish up tours, trying to put things together. They're suffering from self-doubt. You know, it's like that never really goes away. It's part of what we do in being an artist, I think. Absolutely. When you can tell if it's not genuine too, I think, uh, you know, if somebody doesn't have a big following, but has, uh, you know, 200,000 subscribers on youtube or whatever i mean it's like oh well, that's that's not right that's not real you know what is that what yeah. is that worth right exactly um <clears throat> the house concerts I, I mean you were talking about how much you love that and i know that that's a, a kind of a more recent thing for you i think maybe 2017 you started saying okay i'm gonna really get into the house concerts and the listening rooms and i'm not gonna do the bar gigs um I think you you had viral meningitis, is that right? Mm-hmm. And that was your come to Jesus moment, so to yep. speak. Coming to Jesus. Or you said, okay, I'm not going to play five nights in a bar to nobody listening anymore. Yeah, I had run myself down. I had a, a second child. Uh, was my my son was born in uh, February of seventeen, and then I was playing four nights a week. I was teaching lessons, and and I was making a, a decent teacher's salary doing music, and it was wonderful. But I was also getting you know, burned out. And I tell people there's, it's, it's less lonely to be in your basement playing by yourself than it is to be in a, in a room with 150 people and you get done with a song and no one acknowledges your existence. Yeah. That's, that's the loneliest place in the world for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I was getting really tired of that and playing corporate events at the Broadmoor and things like that. And so, uh, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to really go for this. And we had this, <laughs> I hesitate to say lucky, 
But uh, we had, at that time, when I got really sick and I could make that change, we had a little cushion financially because, like, we lost four grandparents and my wife's father within a three-year period. They all died. And wow. so it was a lot of, that made it led two to my, um, to my illness and, and getting run down was the grief. But we had a little windfall and we had some time to say, okay, can't really retire. It's not that big, but um, we have a little bit of grace here financially to where I don't have to play four nights a week. I can actually, let's go for this and let's, let's really start doing this. And, and things were really looking up and trucking along and then COVID hit and that was a hiccup, obviously, yeah. <laughs> for a good 12 to 18 months. But um, things are firing up again and, you know, it's... I hate to put too much pressure on this album, but it's it's going to require another pivot of of what I do uh, if uh, you know it doesn't uh, get me to the point where you know I am able to just make money off of touring those every six weeks or so. Because I'm not going to live on the road with a with two young kids and a wife. But I, what I like to do is go to a region and hit it hard for six seven days and play. Uh, as much as I can and come back home. Yeah. <clears throat> what would that pivot look like? Oh, returning to uh, teaching, probably returning into uh, certain bar gigs. Um, you can't, um, I don't want to generalize and put them all in, 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 in the same category because they're not. Uh, I've played many brew pubs and bars and it's surprising. Sometimes you find some like, wow, this, this is like an 80, 85% listening audience. And, wow, I actually had a lot of fun. And wow, I actually made like 250 bucks in tips. And you know, this mm -hmm. isn't like a poke in the eye. This is better than leaving the house. Yeah. And so uh, I've, I'm playing a place, Buffalo Lodge Bicycle Resort down in Colorado Springs, which is like that. Um, they pack the place. They're there for mu me. They're there for music. And it's close to a house concert experience. And so that's just not being so black and white and and just being open to, okay, what's next you know what 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 else can i do to to generate some income here yeah um but i had to the last five years i'm glad i did what i did i'm glad no matter what happens with this record i'm glad i said i need to give it my full on attention and um just go for it all out and just like trying to do something with my own music and it's been no matter what happens it's been so rewarding like the fact that you know kerrville and then meeting you and meeting so many other singer songwriters and being in this this, uh, I didn't have this five years ago. I didn't have this camaraderie. I didn't have my tribe. Yeah. And uh, I've got my tribe no matter what, and um, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned Kerrville. You were a finalist in 2020 and 2022. It's impressive to be a finalist once. Uh, you know, they have 800-some entrants, and it's sort of a rite of passage for singer-songwriters singer uh, to, to do that competition and um, be a finalist in it. Um, and, and you did it twice. That's you, there's so many factors. Um, one is you have to have great songs multiple years in a row or, or, you know, every other year, whatever it is, you have to have great songs again. You can't enter the same songs. Um, you have to, there has to be conviction behind them. And like you mentioned before this, there, there's a little element of something extra too, where you might have somebody listening to your song who's having a great day. Right. <laughs> you know, it's human judges. Right. Um, but it's really impressive to to be a finalist twice. That's uh that's huge. Yeah, thanks. It was yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked about it. I'm entering in this year. 
and we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a huge honor. Um, I was overwhelmed, uh, for 2020, obviously. And I think you experienced this in 2021. It was all remote, all remote. And, um, in 2022, we were able to get together and it was so different. I, I, I thought, man, I'm going to, I'm going to nail my performance and this is going to be great. I'm going to give it all I got. I'm going to own the stage. And I got out there and I saw all these people in the audience. And uh, I don't know how many. It was like four, 400 or whatever. And, 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 but so many faces of fellow songwriters and some of my heroes and people that I, I really admire. And they were looking at me. And I was overcome with emotion. I, really, I feel like I really screwed the pooch on my performance because I was just like, I can't take this after what we've been through to be here and to have this camaraderie with these people and our new folk class was so warm and loving and we were such you know such good friends and right away and um it was it was profound it was special yeah yeah i i would love to experience it in person yeah you um, got yeah i want that for you it was yeah 2021 was great and it was a fun class but i i, I did go in 2022 uh, for a couple days because since it was in person they invited all the finalists from uh, finalists and winners from the previous year to yeah. to come I missed you by like 12 hours I think that's I right to, I had to drive back on Monday but uh, yeah you know yeah I think I'm probably going to go down there no matter what even whether I'm selected or not I'm probably going to have to go yeah <clears throat> yeah cool it was it's you mentioned the community right? i mean it's a great community of people not just kerrville but just the the songwriter community and the people you meet through um competitions through house concerts through folk alliance conferences regional conferences whatever it is it's it's a really it seems to be a really welcoming community and a nurturing community yeah we're really lucky honestly yeah because that's something that i talk to actors all the time and they're like oh no it's not like that at all because there's one part, and we are all competing for that one part. Yeah. Whereas we, in the singer-songwriter community, we never feel as though we're gonna. There's a lack of fans. We all feel the lack of fans, but, <laughs> but it's not like we're stealing from each other or anything. Or it's there's like, you know, it's just such a warm, welcoming community, and there's that understanding. You know, I just love walking through the hallway at Folk Alliance, and I met. Uh, I'm gonna mess up his last name, Dave Lamott. I think, yeah. and I never, never heard of him, never heard his music, and within like three minutes, there's this connection, a look in our eyes where it's like, oh, you are me, you know, you know exactly, you get it, and that's yeah. what's so cool about our community is that, is that we understand that and we support each other and we lift each other up and we have people come through town and play shows with us and try to book things and let people stay at your house, you know, yeah. because it's, because, oh, you are me and you get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So you come from Michigan, and I've said this multiple times. There's just a strong contingent of art that comes from Michigan, and I didn't realize this, I think, until the last few years. Um, but it's it's a hip place to be from if you're an artist. That. I know. No I, it is, though. It's a cool. great scene. And when we went to farm, you were at, at Folk Alliance Region Midwest. Uh, it, you know, it was in Illinois. But I mean, the vast majority of the people, because it's for the whole region, mm -hmm. were Michiganders. It it seemed like, and there's uh, recent guests, the Accidentals, uh, Chain of Lakes, uh, recent guests on the podcast, Andy Baker. If we go back a little bit further, there's mm -hmm. a couple others I'm leaving out. I'm so sorry, but uh, it's a it's it's a scene, and y you're from there. What was when did you first get introduced to music? 
oh, very, just as I was coming out of the womb, as the doctor put his forceps on my head, because I was born in 1978. It was still the Middle Ages. They had hospitals and stuff. They had hospitals, but they were using forceps on babies, which explains why I have so much songwriter material to pull from. I, uh, I, um, yeah, my dad was uh, born and raised in Detroit and was a big Motown fan, and um, that was in our house a lot. My dad would go through these. He's a big record collector, and he'd go through different phases and so we'd have we'd have a big band phase. Dad's really into big bands. All we're hearing is Tommy Dorsey and Glenn Miller and all this other stuff for like two months. Now he's in his Beatles phase. Now we're listening to uh, something new in its entirety for two months in the car, wherever we go, because Dad's the boss and he picks the music. And um, and then you know Motown was always was always there in in Detroit. They're still playing Motown music on the radio stations. I thought they did that everywhere in the country, but it's really only in Detroit. And and so. Yeah, and there's, you know, just like any part of the North, um, you know, Michigan's an interesting place. Uh, it's a really hard place to live in the winter. Uh, you're surrounded by the lakes. It's it's a peninsula, but it feels like an island very often. Yeah. And um, I think that's just, a, I think that in general is just a good hotbed for creativity, you know, keeping yourself sane. Uh, yeah. Get the, get the feelings out, grab a guitar, grab an instrument, and... and um, you know, try to survive the winter. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I didn't know that Michigan was hip. I know there's been a few artists that have come out of there that were, that were pretty hip. Jack White's pretty hip. Well, but you had your band, the Ottomans mm-hmm. that broke up in 2002, maybe I think you said, but in 2001, you won, uh, an award for the best emerging was an alternative band yeah, best and, new alternative band. And one of the other finalists was the White Stripes. Mm-hmm. So you were better than them. We were better than them. <laughs> we, yeah, that was a funny thing because it's 2001. So Fell in Love with a Girl was their first hit. It came out in June of 2001. And this mm. is April. So nobody knows the White Stripes from the Ottomans. It's hard to believe there was a time like that, but nobody knew who the White Stripes were. Right. They were probably in LA recording that song for the Detroit Music Awards. And we did not think that we were going to win because we're, you know, we talked about this before we pressed record. We don't generally think positive thoughts about things. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we show up and lo and behold, we win. And so it was years that went by and I kept the newspaper clipping and I was with my buddy who was in the band, we had broken up, the band had broken up, but I was with my friend Rob Day, and we're looking through this old memory book of pictures, Mm -hmm. and I put the newspaper clipping in there, and we saw all the bands that were nominated, and it said White Stripes. We're like, we beat the White Stripes? At the time, it didn't matter, you know, but... No kidding. By 2005, it was like, oh my gosh, we gotta put this on our... They blew up. On our internet bios. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, because I think that they're self-titled, you know, the White Stripes came out in like 99 or something, so they'd only been putting out music for a couple years, and Mm -hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, are you civil with everyone from the Ottomans? Uh, Yeah, I haven't spoken to one member, one member, one original member recently passed away, unfortunately. Um, Another member I haven't spoken to uh, in a few years, but there's no ill feelings and then my brother was in the band so we're still close he's in nashville right now and then uh, rob was the guitarist and yeah he's just a, a sweetheart i'm still very close to him so 
it was amicable. Um, you know, we were doing the band thing in Detroit where we were trying to like be original artists and release music, but also make money. And so we were playing these bars doing, um, in three hour sets and playing 50% covers and, um, just weren't feeling as though the, uh, the originals were getting their due and they never would in that, in that environment. Yeah. And so my brother and I, who were writing most of the music, we were like, I think we're just going to do our own thing for a while. So we formed a duo and toured the Midwest and played in Cincinnati, Chicago. We'd go like four or five hours from Detroit and did that for a while. But uh, What'd you call the group? Jared and I were standing room only. Standing room only. I like it. Because we stood while we played our acoustic guitars. And uh, we were just an acoustic duo. Okay. Uh, you know, back then people compared us to like Bare Naked Ladies and things like that because we were writing quirky songs. Yeah. Had the harmonies and stuff, so. Childhood was, childhood in Michigan was good though. Otherwise, your your dad picked the music and you went to Tigers games. I mean, yeah. you know, you're a... a a tall, skinny guy who wears glasses with the last name Facknitz, and and you were in high school at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I try to forget it, but yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was. Uh, yeah, the name the name was something that uh, you just get used to. Yeah, you yeah. know. By the night, like in the for my grandfather and my father, they were they were obviously fucknuts. Yeah, but for me in the '90s, that had morphed into um, fag nuts, and uh, it was just my name. I mean, I, everybody called me that, and I just answered to it. One time, I was <laughs> I was getting a pass to go to class. I was late, and this acquaintance of mine, this uh, cute uh, sophomore, I was a junior at the time, and uh, I'm like, "Hey, Adriana, I need a pass to get to class." And she's like, okay, I'll write one up for you. I'm like, do you know how to spell my last name? She's like, yeah, I think so. And she wrote Fagnuts, F-A-G-N-U-T-Z. And because I wasn't, I wasn't protesting. I yeah. And I was like, yeah, that works. I'm fine with that, you know? Uh, but uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was interesting. And then of course, you know, I go solo and I decide not to be Jeremy Starshine or call myself by uh, some moniker. I just go with my name, which is really a bad, poor, probably a poor choice in, in marketing and promotion. But I've heard some people tell me my name is so bad it's good. So hopefully that they're right. It, it's unforgettable. I don't think it's bad. I, you know, it's it it's. I mean, nobody pronounces my last name right. You know, I have the same thought. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you. Do you ever worry that sometimes maybe DJs um they might shy away shy away from playing you because they're afraid to say your name wrong? It's possible. What's a DJ? <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, it's possible. I, I've been putting it when we send out, you know, the play MPE or, or whatever. Mm. Uh, it says Andy S Y D O W. And then in parentheses, Sid S I G H. D O U G H sit do, and then and then next to it rhymes with kiddo, right? So I think I make it pretty uh, pretty plainly clear. But yeah, it's very possible if you don't have that email in front of you. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was just wondering about that. It's like ooh, if somebody sees it, not that like I I don't know. I don't want to sleep on radio. I mean, you made the joke about what's a DJ, but 
I think I think there are people who are still consuming music via that way. And Absolutely, it pays just as much as Spotify, pretty much. You know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to get played on the radio. There are absolutely people still consuming it. And it's, I'm interested to see what's going to happen over the next 10 years with it. I mean, when, when we go to Folk Alliance, they dedicate a whole, you know, three hour session to folk DJs. And all the artists are pitching their songs to the DJs and giving them CDs and shaking hands. And, and uh, you know, it still is a thing uh, for sure. And it, it, it's it's interesting that it can still be a viable thing for uh, indie artists, and it's not all about the AAA commercial radio. There's so right. much non-com, right? Yeah, it's kind of it. Seems to be a, a bit of an intangible thing, though. Just what it means to us, because you can look at your Spotify followers, and you can see uh, there's uh, you can quantify this and that. You can put a number to it, but with radio, it's it seems a bit more mysterious. I, I somebody shared a link recently that said. Oh, in 2020, you were top 200 artist for your song "Little Devils" on some chart, and I'm like, nobody told me. I'm glad that you knew, and uh, but that's yeah, you know, I was like 196. Okay, God, well, okay, that's cool. But um, I had no clue. I had no idea. So we talked about your life up to the point where the white stripes uh, blew up, and. <laughs> And we talked. No, it's up to about two thousand three, right? The autumn yeah. is well, and then I get. I guess after that, the duo with your with your brother, and then we've talked about two thousand seventeen to the present. And there's still a couple more things uh, to chat about there, I think. But there's a big gap in the middle, and somewhere in there, you've played a ton of gigs. Mm-hmm. You followed a girl to Colorado, but not your wife. Right. Um. When did you first come out to Colorado? In in that in that gap of time were you always doing music as as the main force no no music uh it was always my passion um but i left detroit in 2003 uh, economically it just wasn't viable for me to stay and i i could see that i wasn't going to be able to build the life i wanted to live there so i opened up my job search to the entire country and i actually moved to cincinnati in 2003 and lived there for a year in uh, Westchester. I was also a, a side, I was a radio DJ at this time, but I was also a uh, karaoke host DJ. And so I got this job with uh, this restaurant chain called Champs Americana. And they had a, they would do these promotions at night and they needed somebody to get up on, on stage and talk on the microphone and run karaoke and do all this, be an MC. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So that was kind of my main gig. And I stayed with that, went down to Cincinnati. I fell in love with a uh, waitress and um, she was moving to Boston and we were only going to date for fun, but then it got serious very fast. And I said, I'm moving to Boston with you. We'll move into a studio apartment, even though we've only been dating for three months. This is a great idea because I'm 25 and I'm stupid. <laughs> and so we, we did that and um, lived in Boston for a short period of time. But I was always working jobs because um, uh it was just too much. Music was more, it was my passion, but it was more of a hobby. And, uh, and then we moved to Colorado in 2007. And this, Colorado Springs in 2007 was not what it is now. It was inexpensive. It was a great place to live. And it was, I mean, still is, but it was, um, you could afford it. She was a school teacher and I was a musician and we could find a place to live. And, and so I started teaching in Colorado Springs. Um, and I moved to Colorado Springs 
she wanted to come to Colorado Springs as well, but I, I wanted to go there because I did not at that point in my life want to go to Nashville or Austin, be another singer songwriter who's just waiting tables. I wanted to monetize this. So I figured I want to go to a place where there's some affluence. I want to make some money teaching. I want to be able to play the bars and pubs. And I spent the next, uh, 10 years building that up. Um, but still waffling. I would do music full time. That'd be my main gig. And I'd be like, oh, after a year or two, I'd be exhausted and say, I just want a paycheck. And then I'd go back to a job. And over this period of time, I did everything from working in a call center to um, cleaning toilets to being a financial advisor. Mm. And I'd do these jobs for a year or two. And I'd be like, oh, this is not me. Square peg in a round hole. I got to go back to music. And I kept waffling back and forth. And it really wasn't until 2014 where I said I was 32, no, 36 years old. And I was like, this is who I am. I've got to accept this. I've got to accept this and and go for it full on. And that's when I started seeing some success, when I finally stopped waffling and saying, this is what I'm going to do and make this my main gig. Were there any of those side gigs that, I mean, was there any of them that, you enjoyed a little bit or was it always at the end of a couple of years kind of pure misery and where you were at? Uh, I liked being a radio DJ and I, I liked being a, an MC uh, for the restaurant bar entertainment thing. Cause it's entertainment, you know, right. Everything else that wasn't that I can't think of anything. Obviously I worked with great people. I have relationships that I made even in the financial world. Um, bosses I've worked for are just gems and that would that's what would make me realize that it wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't them that was making my life miserable it was the field I was in yeah. I mean the last guy I worked for in St. Louis Bob Buck uh was my boss I love that name Bob Buck he was from New York he was extremely passionate about baseball and music it was like working with your a best much buddy cheerier Jeremy Facknitz who was 20 years older than him wow and um I was like, if I, if I don't enjoy this, I'm not in the right, I'm not in the right place. Yeah. So no, it was, it was always quite apparent that I needed to be doing music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing we haven't touched on yet that I wanted to make sure to was Kickstarter. A lot of people crowdsource, um, in, in a lot of different ways and with varying levels of success, you set up a Kickstarter it did well. Um, I guess first off, what was what was behind the decision to to go that route? I uh, well, like I said earlier, we've been we've had this good fortune of being able to not have to make a lot of money. I was able to like promote the brand and do my own music. Well, that's coming to an end, and so I <laughs> that time is coming to an end. And so I just spent this uh, small fortune on this new album. And I realized that, uh, well, I really need some publicity and promotion. I really need to start monetizing this. Uh, and um, a good friend of mine, Edie Carey in Colorado Springs, fantastic singer-songwriter, she had done a publicity campaign with Sideways Media out of Los Angeles and just was raving about them and what they had done for her. And I'm like, that's great. How much do they cost? 5000 a month. I was like, okay, well, I can't do that because I just bought a car <laughs> called Smiling at the Future, my new album. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she said, well, do a Kickstarter for it. And I'm like, hey, you, unlike you, I don't have 
a lot of fans. I have 184 followers on Spotify. I can't do a Kickstarter. And she got pretty mad at me and terse and said, uh, no, you don't know who's going to come out of the woodwork. You have no idea. Just give it a shot. Raise a part of it. Try it. Go for 10,000. Go for 15,000. But you've lived, you know, a long life. You've, you've met a lot of people. They, you will not believe who comes out and supports you. And so with a lot of fear and trepidation, I decided to do a Kickstarter for the publicity of the new album and uh, offered the new album as prizes and things like that. And um, yeah, I set, the, I set the bar high at $15,000 and we made it, which still surprises That's me. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And she was right. Edie was right. My, for, for example, my first girlfriend from the time I was age 19 to 22, I haven't spoken to her in over 10 years. She contributed 50 bucks. Wow. Like, never would have guessed that that would have happened. There were so many other stories like that. People who I haven't seen in 13, 14, 15 years. Maybe I played a house concert or I, I played their bar in, or I worked for, with them uh, at one of my odd jobs. And... um yeah, it was really it was really shocking and really uplifting and I was I was overwhelmed. It was it was I I really felt the love and so but it was a scary thing to do. It's very public because if you go on all your social media platforms and your website and say I'm raising $15,000, show me how much you love me and then your mother-in-law and your mom each do 20 and nobody else gives you anything. That's that's embarrassing. That, that scares the crap that's, out of me. <laughs> I mean, I haven't done one. I haven't done one in uh I mean, yeah, but it is scary. It's, uh, I mean, you really put yourself out there and, you know, in a way asking for validation yeah. for what your whole life is, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, there's, of course, there's other elements, but it's, you know, the music. Um, and you use this, I, you mentioned earlier, people saying, I need $15,000 to make an album. And that's a small part of the album you you hear about the 50 50 rule where you know if you spend fifteen thousand on your album you need fifteen thousand for promotion or whatever i don't know how exact that is i think that was just some guy who had two shots and a business degree and said something clever but (laughs) at the but there's some there's a good point to that right you can't if you make this phenomenal product and then say it's out that's it. Nothing happens. You do have to put something behind promo. You're using this money. You already made the record. You're using this money for promo. Did that make you feel more vulnerable in a way? Yeah, I didn't think anything of it until I went to my my band with it, and my keyboardist said, "This whole idea is inherently flawed." And I love my band because they they don't hesitate to like let me know how they feel about things, and <laughs> that's what makes a good band. Uh, but um, I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Just." Asking for money for publicity, it's just not it's just not the way to go, and I don't think it's going to work. And so I was thankful for that because I was like, well, I'm not going to lie. Because I could, right? I could go, all right, I need this money to record this album. And then I'd just take the money and I'd pay for publicity. I could have done that, but I had already posted on social media. Hey, I'm in the studio. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Who knows how many how close of attention people pay to that, but... I was like, no, then I'm going to be honest. But thank you, John, my keyboardist, for your honesty. And I can speak to you in my video and in my promotion. And I can say, okay, this is this is the deal. And I basically said what you just said. It doesn't mean much to make a really beautiful Rolls Royce of an album if nobody hears it. You need to 
get you need to get it out there. You need to publicize it and do it the right way. And so I said, you know, I've done this a long time. I have a lot of momentum going and Kerrville, blah, 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 and mentioned all this stuff. And then I said, you know, this is I, I've only ever asked you to come to a show when I come through town. And now I need more from you. So so please give what you can. Yeah. And I think that honesty, I think that's what I think most people weren't bitten by that. Oh, he's paying for publicity and that feels icky. There may have been some people they didn't say anything and they did, maybe they just didn't contribute. But um, I think most people were just like, oh, he's doing a Kickstarter. He needs help. I like the dude. Here you go. So. Yeah. It's got to feel really good and validating at the end of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take to raise that money? Well, they say, the internets, they say that you should not drag it out. You should make it slow and compact. And so I kept it down to about, I think, 24 days I started in a few days into November and then December 1st was the end. And so I used like that ramp up to the holidays as well. Like on Thanksgiving day, it was like, Hey, for black Friday, why don't you contribute to my Kickstarter and things like that? Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was just over three weeks. Um, and, uh, it didn't really, it didn't look like I was going to make it for a while, but it ramped up at the end, which I was really grateful for. Mm. Very cool. You've got money to, to, uh, to do some publicity, yeah, for five grand a month for three months. Yeah, I had money. It's all gone now. Yeah, hopefully, they're doing. <laughs> oh, great... you spent it already. <laughs> yeah, they're doing a great job. They're doing a fantastic job. The thing with publicity, it, for five grand a month, you can there can be a part of you that's like, I expect to be famous from this. This is expensive. Yeah, there's no guarantee. I mean, there's no guarantee with anything with marketing, promotion, and publicity. They're getting it out there. They're showing me what they're doing. They're. Um, they make me feel like I'm their only client. And they're working with Glenn Phillips they're of Toad the Wet Sprocket. They're working with Letters to Cleo. Remember that band? Well, maybe not. No. I have an age gap with you, but they were a band in the 90s. I know Glenn Phillips. You know Glenn Phillips, yeah. And so, but they make me feel, this this guy with, uh, you know, this nobody nerd in, in Colorado, they make me feel like I'm their only client. So I'm very happy with what they've done for me. And That's great. And, uh, yeah, getting my singles debuted on Americana Highways and, other magazines and things like that. So it's cool. Are you excited for spring training? You know, honestly, less so than I have been in a long time. Um, I'm, I'm a huge Detroit Tigers fan, yeah. and it's just been really disappointing. And, you know, they, the fans were sold this bill of goods that we were going to rebuild and we were going to be the Houston Astros by 2022. Right. And, uh, you know, not everybody can be the Houston Astros. And uh, it hasn't happened for us, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's it's been hard. And uh, got a new uh, president of baseball operations, uh, Scott Harris, who's come in, and he's uh, from Tampa Bay, which is exciting because they know how to make right. something from nothing. Right. Uh, but he didn't make any real big offseason moves. He's kind of patching in the cracks and seeing what he has for a season. Yeah. So you know, it's hard to like, you know, get ramped up for another ninety loss. Uh, campaign, but who knows? It's baseball, right? You never know. I, the Reds uh, have been kind of the same way, but we haven't been told that we were going to be the Astros anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's why I'm still wearing my hat, and I'll be at the television on Saturday for the first game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's this weekend. I'll tune in for sure. Yeah. You know, I love it. I love the game so much. 
after we're done talking here, we were talking earlier how we're going to go out and have a, a game of catch. We're gonna have a catch. We're gonna have a catch. We looked at some. We looked at a couple baseball cards earlier. We had a grand <laughs> old time. Uh, is there anything we left out? Uh, I don't think so. New album's out March thirty first. Uh, streaming everywhere. Smiling at the future. If you're into, um, you know, it's kind of a seventies rock singer songwriter kind of thing with a, a theatric vibe. It, it'll be right up your alley. I'm really proud of it. Uh, Touring to Kansas City, end of March, early April. JeremyFacknitz.com. Don't, don't, don't assume you can spell the name like that uh, girl in high school assumed she could spell my name. It's uh, F-A-C-K-N-I-T-Z, JeremyFacknitz.com. And uh, I, I got nothing else. I don't know. And the stickers are cool. Smiling at the future. It's a smiley you got a face. Because you smiling. gave to it's the. It's on my guitar case. You gave to the. I gave to the Kickstarter. Thank you for giving to the Kickstarter. That's right. I yeah. wasn't expecting that, but see, you came out of the woodwork, a fellow cohort. That's right. You would have. You would have only hit like fourteen thousand nine hundred and seventy-five dollars if it wasn't for me. You got me over the, the I top. Got you over the, I, I owe you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you. Thank you. That's Jeremy Facknitz. Love that dude. Love his music. He's a good hang. Um, if if you're listening to this before March 31st, uh, listen to the singles now and, and buy the record, pre-order it. Um, and if you listen to this afterwards, head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Hard Copy Order, wherever you listen to your music, and check out Smiling at the Future. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for being here. I sure appreciate it. And I'll chat with you next time.